for our, our time that left, that's left to us this morning. Let us return to that chapter we read, Isaiah chapter 54. And we shall read our text there from verse 7. Isaiah chapter 54. And reading our text from verse 7. What a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah shall no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Seeking God's blessing, we want to meditate upon these verses in context and then hopefully we'll be able to speak to ourselves through what we find in this chapter. The title I want to give to our meditation this morning is Fear Not. Fear Not. You will notice that these verses that we have reread and used for our text, that fear not is not found in the text. But I'm quite sure you will agree that that theme oozes out of these words. And we do find fear not, for instance, in verse 4. It begins with fear not. And I would really put it to you that the prophet who was initially speaking to the people of Israel, the church of the day, I would put it to you that fear not is the theme that dominates this chapter. And as we would look, just take a very brief look at some scriptures that we find in the Bible, this is something that is repeated throughout the Bible. This fear not. Abraham was a man of faith. He was a warrior when he had to be. His nephew Lot was captured in a battle. We don't need to go into the details, it's not important, but Lot and his wife, all his family, all his possessions were caught up in a battle. Abraham went to rescue him. If my memory serves me right, he had 318, I think, servants, and he armed them. And he went out to fight against those who had taken Lot captive. And he overcame. And he rescued the men of Sodom. A mighty act by this man of faith. Well, the next thing we read in the scriptures is that God drew need unto him. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the things that I've just related to you, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Here was this great man of faith who had fought a great battle and won and was able to recapture Lot and all the men of Sodom and to bring them home safely. And the Lord draws near unto him and he says to him, Fear not. Why not? Because Abraham was fearful. That's why. And you can understand why. He had secured a victory over these kings. But there was nothing to stop that kings from gathering together later, mustering more forces, and going out to sort out Abraham. And therefore the Lord draws near unto him, and he says, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Hagar and Ishmael were sent out from Abraham. It was time for the separation. The Lord drew near to Hagar in the wilderness. Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Why did the Lord draw near? Because Hagar was anxious. She was fearful. The Lord draws near to her. Fear not, fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Isaac, who inherited the covenant from his father Abraham, fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee. Why did the Lord draw near to Isaac? Because he was fearful. He knew he was a child of the covenant. He knew that God had promised to bless him and he was a man of faith. Maybe not a great man of faith like Abraham was, but nevertheless, he was a man of faith. But there came a point in his experience when the Lord had to draw near unto him and to reassure him, fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee. There are more instances we could record. The Bible is full of them. We could think of that one and look. Fear not, for it is the Lord's intention, the Lord's will, to give unto his people the kingdom. That's a paraphrase of it. That's not an uh, accurate quotation. But you know the verse I'm referring to in Luke's gospel. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Lord's will to give you the kingdom. And very often the Lord has to draw near unto his people and to tell them not to fear. And maybe this is the occasion today as we gather here in the house of God. We've come from different backgrounds. We all come from different backgrounds and we've left our cares and our troubles at home. But we come here fearful very often. And we need to own up and acknowledge that there are times in our pilgrimage when we fear well, here we have a wonderful example of God drawing near to the people of God and telling them not to fear because the Lord was going to deal mercifully and graciously with them. Now, the prophet Isaiah, what do we know about him to help us to put things in context? Well, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied around 600 years before the coming of Christ. What is a prophet? We maybe need to ask ourselves this. Some might not know what a prophet is. Well, a biblical prophet 
is someone who speaks to the people on behalf of God. That's what he does. He has a message from God. And as a biblical prophet, he stands up and he says, Thus saith the Lord. This is a message from God. And this was a message from God that the prophet Isaiah was to give. Now the prophet Isaiah, as I said, he lived about 600 years before the time of the Lord Jesus. He lived in troublous times. He prophesied. Maybe I should step back a bit and say when he prophesied, Israel was in divided. There was the, the northern kingdom, which had the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, which had two tribes. Israel, the people of God, were divided. They were known as Israel and Judah. Israel comprised the ten tribes. Judah comprised Judah and Benjamin. The point is, they were divided. And in Isaiah's day, he prophesied that the king of Assyria would come and carry the northern kingdom away into captivity. He prophesied that. And he also saw it happening. Therefore, what he said came true. He also prophesied that the same king of Assyria would try to capture Judah, the southern kingdom. But he said that the king would not be successful. He would try, he would make inroads, but he would not be able to capture the people of the south. That also came true in his day. But he also prophesied that another king would come, the king of Babylon. And he would try to capture the southern kingdom and they would be successful. And they would come, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he came, he destroyed Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple. And he took the people away into captivity, into Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. Isaiah prophesied of that. He never saw it. He was dead and buried. He never saw it. But he prophesied of it. And it came to pass. This chapter that we're looking at here was written with those who were the captives in mind, that they might be encouraged. I hope you're following me. But this chapter was written, and it came to fruition and fulfillment when the people of Judah were in captivity in Babylon, and they were there for 70 years. And many of them were homesick. And many of them were now repentant. And many of them were longing to get back into Jerusalem. And to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. But many of them were also afraid. 
And this is telling them not to be afraid. God indeed had punished them by, t- by destroying, by using Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple and to bring them into captivity. Why was God doing this? He was doing this because they had embraced idolatry. They were worshipping God, yes, but they were also worshipping other gods also. And God will not tolerate that. And although they had been warned for many, many years that unless they repented and changed, they would be brought into captivity. But they didn't listen. But during that 70 years of captivity, they were cleansed and delivered from the sin of idolatry. They never fell into idolatry again. Truly the chastisement had worked. Well, it was written to encourage the captives that the Lord indeed was going to deliver them and they were not to fear. And although it seemed like an insurmountable task to go out of Babylon and to travel a, a horrendous difficult journey from Babylon into Jerusalem and to overcome many obstacles, yet the Lord was going to be with them. And we can see, because we benefit from history, what was prophesied here came to pass. It came to pass. They did return. They did build the wall of Jerusalem. They did build the temple again. God honored his word. The people were brought back. But the wonderful thing about the Bible, the word of God and prophecy, friends, is that it does not just apply to those to whom it was originally delivered and to whom it was originally intended. Because these people there were the Old Testament church. They were the people of God of that day and generation. But it also speaks to the people of God in every generation. The application is for you and I today. And it may well be that as we come here, we are somewhat fearful. There's one thing we have to establish first before we seek to apply this to ourselves. This is for the people of God. We must discriminate. We cannot say to every single individual, fear not. We dare not. That indeed would be a distortion of the word of God. This word is for the people of God. And maybe this morning as we sit here, that we cannot honestly say that we are the people of God. What must you do? The only thing possible, friends, is to seek the Lord and to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to make your calling and election sure. It is to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is to have him as the one, as your great God and King, as we spoke about, or as we sang about earlier in our opening praise. 
Here, friends, is a message for God's people, for the people of God. What does he say? For a small moment have I forsaken thee. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Do you see the contrast here? A small moment, great mercies. Relatively speaking, it was a small moment. It was 70 years they were in captivity. What is 70 years to the Lord? One day is but a thousand years. And a thousand years are but one day as far as the Lord is concerned. But surely he's encouraged them here to understand that only for a small moment has he withdrawn his gracious presence from them that he might chastise them. But with great mercies I will gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. Again, notice the contrast. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee. Can you not see? Can you not appreciate? Is your heart not in some sense stirred when you see something of God's attributes here? Oh, a little wrath. Oh, friends, in one sense, it was a terrible wrath. Was it not true that Jerusalem was ransacked? Totally destroyed. But it is, as far as God is concerned, but a little wrath. Their sin deserved this. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee. Here God is trying to reveal again the great contrast. His wrath in some sense was horrendous. But it's nothing in comparison with his great kindness and his mercy that he was going to bestow upon them. And Christian, can we not echo this ourselves? Can we not identify with this? Can we not look at our past lives? Can we not see the sins that we have committed against light? Against the great God of heaven who has fed us and watched over us from the moment of our conception, from the time that we came out of the womb. And yet we lived in unbelief and in rebellion. But the Lord has had great kindness upon us. He has shown us mercy. And can we not therefore say that the Lord is merciful unto us? But here, friends, we really come to the heart of the message that we find here. Verse 9. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. Here God is talking about Noah. Now we all know about Noah. Although in the in many places today, this is laughed upon and it's, it's not believed. It's talked upon as being a fable. Well, away with that nonsense, friends. We will not have it. Noah was a, an historical figure. And there was a flood that came upon the whole world. The water came down from the heavens. And what's more, the water under the earth came up. And the whole earth was flooded for a, about a year. And all life was destroyed. Apart from Noah, his wife, his sons, and their three wives, only eight survived. Now we know, we've said it, people laugh at this. You'll not hear this in the schoolrooms, and you'll not hear this in the universities. But friends, our world today, the environment, 
doesn't make sense unless we grasp the reality of this worldwide cataclysmic flood that came upon the world and destroyed the ancient world because God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every thought and imagination of the heart was only evil continually. He had to do something and that's what he did. He destroyed the whole world all life, all animal life, apart from those that were in the, in, in the ark, along with all the animals. But after the flood, God made a covenant with Noah. We know it. It's the rainbow. What did he say to Noah? I will not flood the whole earth again. God made this covenant with Noah and with mankind. And you and I are here today. And whether we believe in God or not, we have to acknowledge that this covenant has been kept. The world has not been destroyed again by a flood. Oh yes, we know there are localized floods. We readily acknowledge that. There are parts in the world that face floods and they cause devastation and heartache and death and destruction. We know that. But the whole world has never, ever suffered a flood like it did in the days of Noah. God has made a covenant. And God is a covenant-keeping God. And he has kept that covenant. And we know that this world will never be destroyed by a flood. Never. Because God keeps his word. But what he's saying to the people here is, as I've made a covenant with Noah, and I've kept that covenant, so I'm going to bring you back to your land. So you're going to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and the worship of God is going to be restored. You're going to be brought back into your homeland. It's sure. It's certain. It's steadfast. Why? Because God has determined it will happen. And against all opposition and all obstacles, they will all be overcome. As I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. Can you not imagine what it would have been like then for these, these poor captives? These people maybe who might have been in slavery. We don't know. We don't know what kind of life they had in Babylon. Yes, they were urged to make the best of it, we don't know what it was like for them. They certainly would not be having the same kind of life that they would have back in Jerusalem. They were foreigners in a foreign land. And he goes on even to reiterate this. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. 
Well, I do hope that in some sense we've brought out the meaning of these words and to see and to put ourselves maybe in the position of these captives and to see how they would truly have been ones who would rejoice, hearing this and realizing this in the first instance was for them. But it's also for us here this morning. Are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Well, let me give you some reasons why you may be fearful. I want, in one instance, to apply this evangelistically. If you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't have a, an interest in him, if you cannot say that he is your Lord and Savior, then I'm not surprised if you're fearful. It would be sensible to be fearful. Because should you remain like that, in that position, the day will come when you'll pass into eternity. Oh yes, you may well be young and fit at this moment, we know. Well, there was a time when all of us were young and fit. But that day's soon pass. The day will come when you will meet God. You'll meet him in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to meet Christ without having him as your Lord and Savior is an awesome experience. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a man of war. And God is only merciful in Christ. That's why we have to discriminate. That's why we have to uh, apply this word appropriately. And we cannot be indiscriminate. And therefore we cry out to those in our midst who are maybe strangers to grace who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might cry out unto him, that they would hear his voice, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's surely another term to say who are fearful. If you're fearful, then come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our great problem, and the minister can identify with this, our great problem is we're fearful, and what do we do? Instead of running to the Lord Jesus, we run away from him. That's how we deal with it. That's just like our first parents. We looked at them a few weeks ago. How in the Garden of Eden, when they sinned, what did they do? They tried to hide from God. They ran away from him. They didn't want to encounter him. Why? Because they were guilty. But that's not the way to deal with God, friends. That's not what God wants of us. Yes, we're fearful. Why are we fearful? Because our consciences are guilty and we know we're guilty. And we don't want anything to do with God. 
But the answer, friends, to have peace, and the answer is not to run away, but to run to God. It is to embrace him as he is found in the gospel. And this would be our first plea to you. Come, embrace him. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Seek him while he may be found. And there are certain times in our lives and in our days when Christ is nearer than other times. We would say to all, now here in the house of God, where the means of grace are, where his word has been proclaimed, in some real way Christ is near to us, friends. His gospel is being proclaimed to you this morning. This is surely a sign that Christ is near. He's not near in the pub. He's not near in the dance hall. He's not near in the bingo hall. He's not near in the shopping mall. He's not near in the football market or football stadium. No. But in the house of God. He's also near in various providences that come upon us. We might be sick. And when we're sick, we think about things that we would not ordinarily think about. Depending on how bad the sickness is, we might think about our mortality. Death might visit us. Not personally, in the sense ourselves, but it might affect a loved one, a neighbor. A colleague. Suddenly. You saw them one day. Next day. Then in eternity. You get a fright. Whoa. What happened? I was just speaking to him. There last week. We met for coffee. Next thing you know. He's in eternity. He's gone. You'll never see him again. The Lord is near on occasions like that. Death speaks a sermon better than any preacher. Death is something we have to face. The Lord is near. And he's telling he's telling the believer the unbeliever you better fear. And the way to overcome your fear is to come and embrace Jesus Christ. As he is freely offered to you in the gospel. But he says in this word here to believers. He's drawing close here to his people. And he's telling them not to fear. What causes you to fear? Well it could be your sin. Yes believers sin. Well, Jesus Christ has died for sinners. All our sins. Every sin. Paul says he's the chief of sinners. He felt that. He knew that. He believed that. He was saved. He became a great preacher. The apostle to the Gentiles. A wonderful 
exercised Christian, yet he felt his sin. He never stopped being a sinner. And the Christian will not stop. Oh, it's not a, an excuse. It's not a license to sin, but it's a reality. And maybe, Christian, you are being burdened with a sin. Well, friends, you must repent, you must believe, and you must not fear because the Lord will forgive your sin. Or you might remember it, and your heart may well condemn you. That's true, but nevertheless, the Lord will not condemn he will forgive. You must come to him. You must bring it. You must itemize it. Not to me, not to someone else, but to the Lord. You are to have dealings with him. And tell him about your sin. And tell him that you want to be forgiven. And you want to be delivered from it. Maybe it's a long-term sin. Maybe it's your pet sin. You, you find it difficult to give up. Fear not, he says. Come unto me. And you will be forgiven. Repent. And call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to believers to, to fear not. What other ways then can we fear? We might fear the unknown. We live by faith and not by sight. You don't know one day from the next. We're going to give some intimations shortly. We always say, God willing. We don't know if we'll be back here at six o'clock. We don't know nothing. We don't know the future. Maybe you're fearful of the future. You must therefore exercise faith. In the one who holds the future, known unto God are all his works from the beginning. What a God we serve, who knows everything, everything that will ever happen. He knows it. You're to trust him. You're to, not to fear the future, the unknown. If you know our great God in Christ, you don't need to worry about the future. Is it not true today that people are worried about the future? They're feeding everything. The Christian must rise above these things. We have faith in a, a living and a loving God. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Not a sparrow falls to the ground but by the Father. And you are of greater value than Millions of sparrows. You may well be fearful about death. It's natural to fear death. You may well be an exercised Christian, a devout Christian, and you know your faults and your failings. But you may well be fearful of death. I believe that God gives us grace that when the time comes for us to leave this scene of time and to be gathered to our fathers, that He will give grace to His people. We maybe don't need it at the moment, but when the time comes, 
the Lord will give us grace to face the king of terrors. We're not like those who will make light of death. It's a very serious thing. It reminds us about the seriousness of sin. For the wages of sin is death. That's what sin has brought into this world. It has brought death. And we all live under that law of sin and death. We're dying all the time. But the time will come when there will be that separation between body and soul. Maybe, Christian, you fear that time. Well, you need to look to Jesus Christ. Did he not suffer? Did he not die? Did he not go to the cross? Did he not come down dead? Was he not buried? Did he not go to a borrowed tomb? Was he not there for some time? Until the first day of the week. That's why we meet on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday. It reminds us of that great event, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear not. Is it not true that Jesus has sanctified the grave for us? He went before us. He's not asking us to do anything he has not done himself. He faced the king of terrors and he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Fear not, Christian. Fear not, aging disciple. Fear not, you feel your body's failing. Fear not. Death is just round the corner for many of us. Fear not, he says. Fear not, I will take you back into the promised land. Fear not, Christian, you shall be in glory. Fear not, the day will come when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And we'll all come out of the graves. We'll talk about that maybe later on tonight. Fear not. We are to live the life of faith. Maybe we've come here full of fear. Friends, we need to have faith. We need to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have faith in this God who cannot lie, who cannot fail, and who has promised he shall deliver his people from all problems and difficulties and he will bring them ultimately to glory.